Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Comrades from Fiction. I'm your host and comrade Nana, joined by a fellow host, Saz. Today we're going to talk about America. Yep, it's that day. It's that day, bro. We're going to talk about the good old USA, the land of the free, even though it has the world's biggest prison population. But that's besides the point. Um, so I'm just going to start off and talk about something right off the gate that has to be spoken about if you talk about America and that's the military industrial complex yeah now uh, for any of our listeners most of the stuff that I talk about it comes from the book called Killing Hope US Military and CIA Interventions Since World War II by William Blum if you haven't read it I suggest you do it it goes to case study after case study of every time the US is either meddled in an election or just outright overthrew a leader because they didn't like them. Mm. Okay, so just America, since the end of World War II, has attempted to overthrow more than 50 foreign governments. It's grossly interfered in elections of at least 30 countries. It's attempted to mm. assassinate more than 50 foreign leaders. It's dropped bombs on the people of more than 30 countries. It's attempted to suppress a populist or nationalist movement fighting against an intolerable regime in 20 countries. The last point, they did that in uh, Guatemala. They invaded Guatemala specifically because of that. Now, a confluence of all those things I just mentioned has caused the end of life of several million people and condemned millions more to life of agony and despair. And probably the worst example of US imperialism, in my opinion, Obviously, there's many, many examples, but probably the worst example is what they did to Iraq. Like, America essentially just transformed a modern, educated, advanced nation and then just reduced it to a quasi-failed state. Like, because obviously a lot of people, understandably, you know, when they think of Iraq, they think of the invasion in 2003. But, the you know, the first war, the first war on Iraq was waged in 1991 and America bombed it for 12 years you know, on and off for with one just complete BS excuse or another. Then they invaded in 2003, occupied mm. the country, overthrew the government, tortured without inhibition, for example, Guantanamo, Abu Ghraib, like, you mm. know, some really, really horrific stuff. Like Abu Ghraib is the lesser known example where Americans would like just urinate on Iraqi prisoners, um, electrocute them, waterboard them really disgusting stuff really can i interject on this part yeah we learned about abu ghraib in uh in psychology uh during my a-level years and uh see what you the the scenes you're describing about urinating on the prisoners and all the horrific conditions i remember how it was presented in my uh, psychology class because it was uh it it was sort of like a a question on is is what's happening in abu abu ghraib the, the result of a few bad apples institutionalized you know the 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 you know what they were doing there and it's just, it's funny like how they were asking that question of like is it a few bad apples or is it institutionalized of course it's institutionalized like no it's not a it's, it's not a case of few uh, bad apples 100% and you know to quote william blum from his book that i uh, cited earlier killing hope he says, the people of 
that unhappy land referring to Iraq lost everything their homes their schools their electricity their clean water the environment their neighborhoods their mosques their archaeology their jobs their careers their professionals their state-run enterprises their physical health their mental health their health care their welfare state their women's rights their religions religious tolerance their safety their security their children their parents their past their present their future their lives I suppose that really just sums it up like there are many many examples of like US imperialism and like the disgusting things it's done but what they did to Iraq was probably just takes the cake unfortunately like more than half the population were either dead wounded traumatized internally displaced mm-hmm. or in foreign exile mm-hmm. the, the air soil with water blood genes drenched with depleted uranium children being born with the most awful birth defects to this day mind you unexploded cluster bombs lie anywhere waiting mm-hmm. for children to pick them up to this day and i suppose the worst aspect of this all the worst thing about the invasion and occupation of iraq is the fact that it was just you know one massive lie you know uh, a man named scott ritter the chief un weapons inspector himself uh, in iraq stated in 2002 which was before the invasion that since 1998 iraq has been fundamentally disarmed 90 to 95% of iraq's weapons of mass destructions have been verifiably eliminated and like this process of the military industrial complex either just invading or supporting coups it continues to this day cuz i suppose the most recent coup uh, that occurred was when they got rid of Eva Morales of Bolivia specifically because he didn't want to sell out foreign companies to exploit Bolivia's lithium reserves and it's quite interesting actually because a lot of liberals and conservatives manufactured consent for that for that coup mm. saying all oh, you know the people of Bolivia standing up against the wannabe di- dictator and when he was removed in the coup they were like oh this is a victory for democracy and now months after it happened the OAS the organization of american states revealed that the data used to say oh uh, the the election you know the data used was flawed it wasn't actually a you know morales wasn't actually a dictator he wasn't actually rigging the election no shit he wasn't rigging the election he did so much good things for the bolivia like he increased the minimum wage considerably he you know increased life, living standards um why would why would the people want to get rid of him it wasn't the people who was sponsored by the cia and you know the fascist uh, that took power she, she's a hard right christian fundamentalist her name is gianin ana anas and um mm. she's still in power like in that election she got 4% of the vote and she was called the interim president you know she was put into power by the military and she's like they they were like oh she's only going to be there temporarily and to support that claim they're like oh you know no to support that claim they're like okay we're going to have another election and then when the polls revealed that the candidate from Morales's party was leading all of a sudden they're postponing that election until further notice so it's really funny because they said oh you know ta- Bolivia will now restore democracy and have free and fair elections but when the candidate from Morales's party was winning all of a sudden that process of quote unquote restoring democracy has been postponed until further notice yeah it was a coup like to anyone that's seen it when it was happening and what's happening now it was a coup spot backed by the US because they want Bolivia's lithium and another thing i want to touch on in conjunction with the uh, the military industrial complex is the idea of america and mm. we're often told you know by a lot of us presidents that they don't negotiate with terrorists so you would think that they don't support terrorism and this is actually not true at all 
and I don't want to get into the nuances of this like of what terrorism is because obviously as we know it's not as black and white as we might like it to be after all one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter but mm. I just want to like challenge the, the, the statement that you know we don't negotiate with terrorists which is not true at all so one example like I think one of the biggest examples we can talk about in terms of America and its ties with terrorism and terrorists in general is an individual named Orlando Bosch. He's a Cuban who blew up a plane, killing 73 civilians for political reasons. And if that isn't terrorism, I don't know what it is. He attempted to assassinate many diplomats. He fired cannons at ships docked in American ports. Uh, he placed bombs in numerous commercial and diplomatic buildings in the US and abroad. He was wanted for Cuba for like, you know, blowing up the plane and other serious crimes. And essentially he's to Cuba what Osama bin Laden is to the US. Now I just want everyone to imagine like what would the reaction be, right? If bin Laden was in Cuba and then the Cubans were like, yo, no, we're not gonna hand him over to you, we're not gonna extradite him to you. Like, the US would be pissed. And that's yeah. exactly yeah. what happened when Cuba were like, Can you extradite Orlando to us? because of the crimes he's committed and the US refused and just another example of the US outrightly supporting and aiding and abetting terrorism was with the example of the Mujahideen in Afghanistan in the early 1980s and so the 1980s and early 1990s the CIA supported the Mujahideen uh, they orchestrated a war against the Afghan government and their Soviet allies pouring in seven billion dollars worth of arms and extensive military training and a lot of people talk about US foreign policy saying that, you know, saying a lot of things about it, really. But I think the best way to describe it is this, by this quote by Michael Parenti, who says, US foreign policy is not habitually misguided and bungling. Although mistakes are made, US foreign policy is generally quite consistent and cohesive, a deadly success given the interests it represents. Those who see it as repeatedly befuddled are revealing their own befuddlement. And I think that describes it the best way, actually. Mm. Mm. Uh, so on that note, I want you, because I will continue later to talk about other aspects. For example, the the, the ongoing violence and oppression that the U.S. state is committing against its own uh, citizens, and how that really isn't an aberration, as a lot of people are wanting, you know, trying to make it out to be. And also talking about how America does not stand for democracy, isn't a democracy itself, how it's never stood for human rights and freedom. But um, can you talk? to our listeners about the prison industrial complex and how it operates and other elements regarding that um you yeah you actually did you jokingly touched up on it not a joke but how uh, the usa has the biggest prison population and we bring this up mm-hmm. every podcast every episode we always bring it up uh the massive prison population how you know they have five percent of the world population but 25 percent of the world prison population the highest uh, youth inca- incarceration rate and um, I, I, I sort of wanted to get to the bottom of this of why this is happening and a lot of it is because of you know not not to be like full mask of commie but like it is because of uh, capitalism Acu- you know according to the ACLU uh, pri- private uh, prisons make around three billion three billion with a B in revenue and um, mm-hmm. sort of sort of where this happened sort of where this sort of exploded this huge incarceration rate because uh, private prisons are, are sort of a new thing because prior to that uh, we've only had uh, public prisons in America but really where it started was uh, was through um, 
the war on drugs, uh, Reagan's war on drugs, that's when uh, private uh, prison populations exploded because, you know, you couldn't house them in the uh, public prisons. They just couldn't handle the amount of inmates. And uh, that's actually where, where it started from. So there's, uh, there's three, the three biggest uh, private prison corporations, the, the CCA, the, the GEO group and the MTC group, uh, they, they're the you know they're the biggest they're the biggest culprits they're the people that make the most money they, they show the shareholders make about I think three million a year uh, you know that's how much they pocket from uh, from prisoners uh, they pay prisoners what, 19 cents an hour uh, uh, no medical benefits uh, just just uh, you know lack of parole just any any disobedience they sort of uh, they sort of punish them with like huge 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 um uh, uh, you know, reprimands and uh, other stuff. But uh, so I, I, lo- I looked at certain things like uh, the CCA uh, during the shareholders meeting, the correctional, uh, the Correction Corporation of America in the annual shareholders meeting of uh, 2013. Um, why they so against prison reform? Why they so against uh, decriminalization of drugs? And uh, just decriminalize this decriminalization in general is because. Uh, they, quoted, they were quoted as saying in the shareholders meeting, the demand for our facilities and services could be adversely affected by the relaxation of enforcement efforts, leniency in conviction or parole, uh, in parole standards and sentencing practices through the decriminalization of certain drugs or activities that are currently prescribed in our, in our, in our criminal laws. So essentially, you know, the amount, of, uh, the amount of prisoners they're getting from like, say, uh, you know, marijuana use, uh, if, if you decriminalize if you de- uh, if you decriminalize decriminalize uh, drug use or decriminalize just you know any crime that's kind of dumb in general they're gonna see a drop in profits and uh, mm-hmm. yeah like the CCA are huge 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 a- advocates against uh, drug reform against marijuana reform against just <laughs> any criminal reform in, in the first place and uh, yeah yeah and uh i i looked at other data like this, uh, the cca the geo group and the mtc so um you know between 2012 uh 2002 and 2012 they spent 45 million 45 million on lobbying uh on state lobbying and fe- uh, and federal lobbying so you know they spend uh, they spend millions every year on on election campaign mostly re- interestingly most of it goes to republicans yeah you got that. Um, you know, 2016, uh, private prisons gave 1.6 million to candidates. Um, once again, most of it to the Republicans, and this is double what was given in 2012. Uh, Geo Group between uh, between 2019 to 2020, in one year alone, you know, contributed 1.8 million Republicans. They spent four million on lobbying in 2019 alone. Uh, the top five prisons: MTC, Geo, C, uh, the CCA. So there's there's a lot of lobbying going on uh, by these uh, private prisons to to increase uh, you know to, to increase prison occupancy to sort of meet their demands. You know, there's other data yeah. like 2003 and 2011, uh, CCA hired 199 lobbyists in 32 states. Uh, Geo the Geo Group hired 72 lobbyists in 17 states. That's practically all of the states in America uh, for, for lobbying purposes. Yeah. That's what six. That's six lobbies per state. That's insane, you know. When you look at the numbers, and just 
I wanted to sort of like address the conditions in these prisons that like so appalling. This, I mean, I, I, I'm sure we've seen like you know prison shows from time to time. Like yeah, like on um, scared straight, but that doesn't really give a true reflection of like what really goes on in American prisons. Sorry to interject here because a lot of people. I mean, I presume, like, I presume most people that watch, you know, that listen to this podcast are communists already, so they'll know this little fact that, unfortunately, should be much more well known, is that slavery didn't end; like, it continues to operate under the racist prison-industrial complex. Hmm. I like. I mean, actually, actually, G, there's a there's a quote I wanted to to, to say about this. Yeah. Um, it's about uh, yeah, it's it's about what you said, and um if i can find it actually there's a there's more african americans in jail today than there were slaves in 1850 jesus christ yeah i'm i'm not surprised about that until like uh you know there's a specific statistic that i read in a book by jason stanley called how fascism works politics of us and them and it said that you know black americans they constitute 13% of the us population but make up 77% of the us prison population and they make up 9% of the world's prison population like he even <laughs> emphasized himself that there's never been it's that's literally unprecedented there's never been a time when a single group made up such a large sec- sector of the world's prison population and you know you would you know these private prisons as you mentioned they they threaten to close down and stop funding certain political groups if they don't start arresting mm. and sentencing more people because they have to fill up these quotas. And you know, it's very interesting because you think in most places, oh, closing down a prison would be a good thing, but apparently not in the good old USA, the land of the free. I mean, that's the thing now. Now, when you when you look at when you look at how much taxpayers pay into the prison system, it's sixty nine billion dollars a year uh to 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 keep the prison systems uh to keep the prison system afloat and you know you can we can parrot on about the statistics of how one in 15 black men are behind bars one in three Af- african american males will be jailed in their lifetime or i mean we can we can keep parrying on about the statistics but i'm i'm i'm, I'm sure like you know yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure we know. Like the the prison industrial complex is inherently racist towards you know uh, minority groups in general. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, I, I sort of wanted to get back to like uh, just capitalism in the in the in you know the private prisons. Um, you know, many many of these prisons, you know, the private prisons at least, you know, have the most vulnerable people. You know, forty percent of all juveniles are held in private prisons. So juveniles like sixteen to, you know, uh, fourteen to sixteen year olds. That 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 group. Fifty percent of immigrants uh, detainees are held in private prisons. And the thing mm. about that is, most immigrant most immigrant detainees, they're not they're not convicted of a crime. They're just waiting to be, you know, waiting to hear the sentencing. The hell they, you know, while they wait to to have their case decided, not for a crime they're convicted. So, so that that's that to me is insane. How like just immigration in general is like, you know, co- 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 um, sorry, contributing to the prison and industrial complex. Yeah. So I mean, there's uh, I'm not I'm not exactly done. Like there's there's just so much shit, man. When you realize about it. So like you know, uh, in 2012, actually, uh, f- uh, federal uh, federal ju- uh, judge mo- moved the inmates out of Walnut Grove uh, Youth Facility. So it's a youth facility. So it's it's not like a it's not full of hardened criminals. And the reason the the judge decided that was because he saw a picture of such horror should be unrealized anywhere in the civilized world. 
So mind you, this is a youth correctional facility and that's how bad conditions were. Unsanitary, violent crime, like, yeah. The, and that's just one youth facility. Like, you know, there's many cases of unreported youth facilities with, you know, sexual misconduct, unsanitary conditions are rampant. You know, prison staff uh, ha- have sex with prison youths are already considered, quote unquote, among the worst we've seen in any facility in the nation. You know, mm. the AC, the ACLU uh, found 200 reported. This is reported, you know, <laughs> shit like this isn't normally reported. So imagine the unreported cases, you know, sexual abuse allegations. And that's, yeah, once again, that's the unreported stuff. And uh, like uh, in 2012, three companies uh, received million in legal payments from, from just like sentencing uh, j- just youths into these correctional facilities. So actually, I wanted to sort of touch on that, but before I do, yes. Ah, so as my notes are a bit messed. No, it's fine. Uh, so, so you 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 did touch on this about how uh, prisons need to like maintain some of their quotas, but mm-hmm. it sort of does get worse when you look into the data. Like the, you know, uh, the. In 2013, the PRAC uh, report found that some companies signed contracts with states, right? That certain uh, prison clauses have to be guaranteed. So high prison occupancy, uh, occupancy, with some clauses saying 90 to 100% occupancy rates. So if these clauses aren't met, where, you know, the the prisoners, uh, sorry, if these clauses aren't met, the, the state has to uh, give these prisoners, uh, these prisons money back as compensation. So... Yeah, I mean, what does that tell you? It just really, I suppose, just shows how utterly depraved the U, you know, the US system is really. I mean, so many different, different facets, and this is just two we've we've touched on, like the military-industrial complex, the prison-industrial complex. Messed up, truly, truly, truly messed up stuff, man. Yeah, yeah. And you did touch up on the undocumented immigration uh, and uh, immigrants in general. But like, yeah, um, ever since the passing of the SAFE Act in 2012, or was it 2013? Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah, this was under, once again, our boy Obama, his, under, his administration where, you know. Change has come to America. Yeah, ch- yeah, change for the private prisons. Right, so the the U.S. Judiciary Committee uh, uh, Committee passed the Safe Act, so undocumented immigrants uh, basically end ends up end up in the hands of these private prisons because they don't have the legal papers. So not having le- legal papers is punishable by months or years in U.S. prisons. So like millions and millions of undocumented immigrants are basically considered criminals now. Like it's just yeah, like you said, it's just truly horrifying shit to like you know meet the demands of like basically capitalism because like you know prisoners are, are, are sort of like paid 19 cents an hour like my boy meek mill the rapper yeah he he, he had to work multiple jobs for 19 cents an hour while he was in prison for for basically a uh, parole like why do you <laughs> yeah like you know like we have a comrade in prison as well in the uk but I don't want to even imagine like stuff that he'd have to go through if he was in a US prison. Yeah, yeah, just just like I said, like sex- sexual abuse, unsanitary conditions, mm-hmm. just violence, like violence in the 
unimaginable scale, just solitary yeah. confinement, just insane. I mean, we haven't even touched up on like how ICE operates and the concentration camps on the U.S. South, you know, border with Mexico. Oh, those are uh, concentration and- camps. Those are concentration camps for people denying it. Those are basically concentration yeah. camps. Yeah, like concentration camps don't need to constitute like people being killed or people like putting in gas chambers. I can see why, because when you think of them, they convey that. But like the first concentration camps for people in a way were created by the British in South Africa and they didn't have gas chambers and people did die there because of uh, other factors such as like, you know, poor conditions, disease spread and, you know, a lot of them were tortured etc etc but to touch on the concentration camps on the u.s south border like you have kids locked up in cages kids children being locked up in cages that access to basic uh, things such as toothbrushes or a bar of soap <laughs> it's fucked up and you know a lot of people try and like you know fight back against the label concentration camp because as i mentioned their, their preconceived conception of what a camp is is like you know what the Hitler's camps were in Nazi Germany but just because you know they don't have those elements present within them doesn't mean that they're not concentration camps like these people are being sent here without any kind of right to a trial like initially like people people I think what people are thinking about death camps but initially those Nazi concentration camps yeah were were, were made to hold uh, hold you know, political prisoners, actually, communists, you know, just comrades, comrades, uh, homosexuals, uh, you know, uh, Jews. I mean, how could I forget Jews? Just anybody non-Aryan. Yeah. They, weren't, they weren't necessarily like death camps at the start. The final solution happened much later, but they eventually became death camps. But yeah, like you said, you know, they are con- uh, the, the U.S. ones are like considered uh, concentration camps by, you know, by definition. By any kind of metric, yeah, like they are concentration camps, uh, just because they're not, they don't convey what you think a concentration camp is, doesn't mean they're not a concentration camp. I'm sorry, as a per- person I, you know, I know personally who who went through, a, you know, who subjected Comrade Saz to a very painful debate about the U.S. having concentration camps or not. It was a, uh, it was painful to read. I must say. Just that chat. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been, uh, you know, told by Comrade Dada not to engage in politics with a said person ever again. But with that specific person, yeah, like just don't, <laughs> just don't. Sounds <laughs> cheap, yo. But yeah, he's a red there. I'm sorry, G. He red baits me. Also. Yeah, and he's also a Muslim, but defends Boris Johnson. So go figure that out. Go figure Enjoy that. Enjoy one viewing. And uh, we we are we will continue about the, the U.S. system. But to any of our viewers who are blissfully unaware about why that you know that connection, being a Muslim and supporting Boris Johnson, is just ridiculous. Uh, Boris Johnson, in an in, a, in an article for the Telegraph, described Muslim women as you know who wear the niqab as letterboxes and bank robbers, and that led to a three hundred and seventy five percent increase in anti-Muslim hate crimes. So. Uh, if you're Muslim and you like Boris Johnson, you should seriously reevaluate your life. Yeah. Anyway, well, on that note, we're not I want to. You, but yeah, you know, Boris Johnson, you can be a conservative and Muslim and, you know, have your, you know, uh, you can have, have your views, but yeah. 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 So, um, sorry, on that, on that note, I want to just talk about, 
the ongoing violence and repression that the U.S. state is committing against its own citizens, and how attempts are being made to portray this violence as un-American, and why that you know that's pretty much not just a racist, chauvinistic position, but it's ahistorical. So I'm going to just talk about that. Uh, so right now, the violence and the repression that Americans are being subjected to from their own government is not un-American, as a lot of people might later claim, but in actuality, illustrates perfectly the fascist reality of the U.S. Mm. being a capitalist oligarchy that has been developed and sustained through violence. Now, as I mentioned, people are trying to frame this violence and repression by saying, you know, this is an Iraq or this is an this is a this is an Iran, which is very like that in itself. Like you could just see or China, whole, yeah, and you could just see the Orientalism radiating from them, as if those places, by definition, are synonymous with violence. Particularly Iraq. Like, why is a place like Iraq so rich in its contributions to the development of society? For example, you know, mathematics and medicine is now being defined by the violence that's been imposed upon it. It's not only hypocritical; it's truly heartbreaking. But to continue with my point about why. Uh, framing the, the ongoing violence and repression committed by the U.S. state against its own uh, citizens and portraying this as un-American is a uh, demonstrably race uh, historical. You know, people that say this is, um, you know, like they're trying to say that less civilized non-Western nations commit this, you know, violence against its own citizens, not the democracy and freedom-loving U.S which as we already touched on the US is not freedom loving having you know the world's biggest prison population should tell you that and more of it's not democracy loving but I will elaborate further on that later and like you know a lot of these negative comparisons as you probably imagined are associated as I mentioned with uh, America's enemies and people are essentially trying to say that the US has stooped down to a lower moral plane and in doing so, they're perpetuating these racist and chauvinistic myths about a once righteous U.S. that never really existed, which is really funny to me. Because when can a nation like the U.S. founded on, you know, the enslavement of one race and the genocide of another ever be considered righteous? Because as Samir Amin argued in his fantastic book, The American Ideology, you know, even, even the U.S.'s supposed virtuous revolution was in fact only a limited war of independence devoid of any social dimension that carried out you know, genocide against the Native Americans and never challenged the institution of slavery. And recently it's been like, like this blatantly racist notion that's been peddled uh, that this great, you know, this once great nation has now uh, lowered itself to the standards of its enemies. But the fact of the matter is like the US is, you know, the global leader when it comes to assassinations, crushing internal dissent controlling and intimidating the media and various acts of mass repression against protesters and opposition groups. You know, all the very things that a lot of people are now strangely calling un-American. America's been doing it for a very, very, very long time. For example, during the civil rights era, when they killed, you know, Fred Hampton. Mm. And the fact of the matter is, like, when you look at the US, it's, it essentially routinely accuses its enemies of being what they actually are, which is an authoritarian, militarized police state that surveils, brutalizes, imprisons, and murders people, not just at home, but abroad with complete impunity. And to touch on that militarized police state aspect, the New York Police Department has a budget of $6 billion. That would make them the 33rd largest military in the world. 
and the US has the brass neck to call any other country authoritarian. Has it even looked at itself? Clearly hasn't. Clearly so, hasn't. So Nana, what why do you think why do you think what do you think the existence of the police is? The fact that New York has such a you know big police presence, while also like having you know the the stocks you know the uh, sorry the the World Trade Center and like just millions in property. What do these mm. two connections say say to you, G, about the existence well, of the police? You have to look at the the role and function of any sort of police force within the capitalist social order, and that's to protect private property and to enforce the social order by any means necessary. The police is a, an apparatus of the bourgeois state that is used to suppress any kind of popular revolt yeah or any kind of proletarian revolution the state yeah. the bourgeois state they use the the you know the police and the military to legitimize their violence over the people the apparatus of state terror basically essentially the state has a monopoly on its violence not mm. on violence sorry and uses the the police to uh, crush and smash any kind of proletarian revolution it's really interesting to me actually how a lot of these you know don't tread on the libertarians never take into account police and military budgets and you know how a lot of them advocate for guns as a means to fight back against the tyrannical government but when people are literally being dragged and thrown into vans in portland you know by federal agents federal agent oh <clears throat> sorry i mean america's gestapo um right you know these libertarians are nowhere to be seen funnily enough like what happened to fighting against the tyrannical government lads oh yeah, yeah really? don't tread on me it's like this disgusting individualism because you know it says don't tread on me not don't tread on us you know so why would they care you know yeah I, i think you said it best last time where you said yeah don't tread on me you know tread on tread on minorities yeah yeah these people like um you know they they a lot of their privilege a lot of their status is owed to the fact that uh, you know white supremacy and capitalism are kind of tied not not in a overt kind of way admittedly but they are still tied and a lot of people you know will lose a lot of their rights and privileges actually if like these institutions of white supremacy and racism were destroyed i mean when when you think about it in like the wider scope of race relations i think like not to shit on all white people in America but just white Americans in general at least the conservative side even mm-hmm. the liberal side I, I think in in the wider scope of race, race relations they understand that the police are going to be on their side you know for for as long as the government they support are in power but you do know that's willing to change that is willing yeah. to change 100% yeah it's strange to me that like a lot of people use the police kill white people too as an argument to justify and validate the police's uh, ability to murder people with impunity in the states like they shouldn't murder they shouldn't be murdering people at all like you know they they're here to protect and serve right oh no they're here to protect and serve the ruling class yeah like, it's yeah. fundamentally why the police exists like if the if the proletariat could unite right now without any sort of armed agents of the state existing the bourgeoisie would be fucked like who's going to protect them and their private property oh here we have an army and the police force it, you know it's fucking it's genius shit it's simple but it's great for them anyway because they know that there'll be people out there to protect them and these police the police force in the US in particular looking as an as an example because this episode is dedicated to America are facilitators of this fascist violence 
they're complicit in it, 100%. I mean, just looking at the history of the police, like in the UK, they, you know, they, they started out in London where most private property was. Mm-hmm. But in America, they started out as slave catchers. There's posters out there, you know, from, from, uh, that, uh, from during that time that you can find now where you know uh, abolitionists anti you know abolitionists set up saying don't talk to the authorities don't talk to cops because they're basically slave catchers they'll hand you over to the southern states that's what that's how they started and you wonder you know and people like you know gorkas when we say you know police are institutionally racist from the beginning i mean at least in america yeah and it's funny i saw i'm actually glad you brought this up we're going to continue on america but for any of our viewers that may be new we're two comrades from the uk and you may think that the UK's police force isn't as bad as the US. And yeah, you're right. But, you know, comparing yourself to the US and not and being better than them is, you know, should be the, you know, should be the, the bare minimum. Let's be honest. The bare minimum. So, yeah. like, the police in the UK, people say, okay, uh, what, what should we do about them? Because there were calls to defund the police, rightly so, in the US and outright abolish them, rightly so. People are like, okay, the police in the UK, they suffered a lot. They already we went through 10 years of austerity because that's and that's led to like budget cuts and police stations closing down and police numbers to be cut. Okay, fair enough. So there's calls to change the way they ta- you know, they police essentially, how they how they employ their tactics, because you look at the statistics and they disproportionately stop and search people from a minority background. For example, black people are 40 times more likely to be stopped and searched. They're nine times more likely to be stopped and searched than white people. Conversely, people of an Asian background are three times more likely to be stopped than uh, white people, particularly people of a South Asian background. And, you know, most stop and searches constitute for uh, possession of drugs. However, on self-reported crime surveys, as backed by the Office for National Statistics, most people that do have, have admitted to taking drugs are white people. But like white people aren't criminalized or stereotyped as a community for their habits, whereas these people are. And this is what we mean by the police are, you know, institutionally racist and facilitators of like racism and white supremacy and all these ideologies that are tied in very sort of intimate ways to capitalism as a system. I'm glad if you yeah. that, but uh, just to just to again to continue on America, I want to talk about how it's not even a democracy, even though it claims to be. And I just want to talk about the Democratic Party, the Republican Party. But is there anything mm-hmm. you'd like to elaborate on that point, just about how America really isn't even a democracy and how both the Democrats and Republicans are one and the same, but just pretending to hate each other in a weird sort of way? Um, I, I mean, you don't need to look any further than our boy Joe Biden. You know, old Sleepy Joe over here. That, you know, I'm using I'm using Trump's nicknames, but you know, th- that nickname I'm fine with using. Old boy Sleepy Joe, who signed the 1994 crime bill, as we've stated so many times in every episode. But like now, he's running for the Democratic n- nomination, and he has the goal to say, if you don't vote for me, you're not black. Like this is this is this is the same dude who signed the 1994 crime bill that led to mass incarceration of Af- African Americans. Yeah. And really, like, yeah, I mean, where, where's, where is the democracy in this? Like, what choice do you really have? You know, voting, like, you know, you said it really succinctly last time where uh, you said, you know, you, you're voting for, what did you say? You're voting for a rape. It's essentially the choice between the fascist and the fascist enabler or 
the rapist that's from the blue team or the rapist that's in the red team basically you know you given like and we we've uh, we sort of touched on this about voting for for uh, for the lesser evil and there really is no lesser evil sorry there there really is no like you know there's no justice in that because when you vote for the lesser evil i said it you're really enabling uh, for the greater evil to come about next cuz yeah. evil is evil at the end of the day cuz uh, you know I, i think you're going to touch on this how you know tr- uh, tr- trump is uh, is a product of obama really 100% 100% yeah what we see of biden is basically another product of obama once again and this is what happens when you allow when you allow the lesser evil of obama to come like i mean i i guess that wasn't what was happening but like you know when you allow a lesser evil to come into power you know the great the great evil is going to come next cuz what's going to happen after biden you know after he wins the presidency you know who's next you know you sort of normalize fascism like not normalize it but you know you put it out into the open you've allowed it to take a more over more uh, a more over form a more over physical form in america you know what is next mm-hmm. you know what is next hopefully the destruction of the us as we know it while well, it's the present us and the some kind of proletarian revolution but i can dream um yeah as you mentioned both parties just by using joe biden uh as a as as i suppose a symbol they're the same they're one and the same like biden you look at his record wolf and after you know ship mm. jobs over to uh, places where are unregulated don't have the same working conditions as america voted for the bankruptcy bill wrote the crime bill that to mass incarceration voted for the iraq war you know he was the guy from the democrats that really pushed other democrats to support bush's illegal war mm. and it's not just him like the the democrats that you look at them specifically nancy pelosi and she's supposed to be you know she's the speaker of the house and she's she she does not oppose trump in any way like it's performative opposition like she can clap her hands she can rip up as many state of the union address speeches that he's made she can do all of that all of that bullshit but it doesn't mean anything at the end of the day when you've given him money for his product when you've given him an, an additional 131 billion dollars to drop bombs on brown people mm. when you pass the legislative agenda in full when you approved his defense budget you know bill of 738 billion dollars Um, she's literally done everything for Trump. This is this is uh, cooperation. If I, if, you know, if, if this isn't cooperation, I don't know what is. Both parties work together. It's almost like a, you know, American politics. When you look at it, it's almost like a, op, you know, theater. Like you have you said it, you said it in loads of times in our uh, in our phone conversation. It's basically like professional wrestling. Yeah. Yeah, like how both people are just pretending to hate, both parties are pretending to hate each other, but at the end of the day, they don't hate each other, and you know this this subjugated to the interests of their corporate donors. Well, I say subjugated, mm. that makes it seem like they don't want to, you know, they didn't they never were interested in their corporate donors. Of course they are. Like they could not give a fuck about the proletarian America. They only, you know, they only, you know, they only serve the interests of the ruling class. That's it, baby. Like both parties could not care about the proletariat in America at all, and they never have, they never will. Where was the democracy in 2016 when Hillary cheated her way to the you know Democratic nomination from Bernie? Yeah. Where was the democracy then? 
yeah, like most people in America, when polled, even say that America doesn't re- resemble anything of a, a quote-unquote liberal democracy. Like Lenin was right when he spoke of in uh, State and Revolution that democracy and capitalism is bourgeois democracy. It's democracy for the rich. It's democracy for the ruling class because whoever wins, they win too. And, you know, that no way is that reflected better than in America where every four years people go to choose the capitalist party or the other capitalist party. You know, these people, the, the both parties fundamentally do not represent the interests of their of the proletarian America at all. I mean, like, like I want to say, like, you know, blue MAGA uh, Biden like, and, you know, just MAGA Trump. Like, what is the difference between the two? What is the difference? Policy wise, exactly. They don't care about Medicare for all. Fuck climate change. Who gives a shit about climate change? Mass incarceration, never heard of it. Want to bomb a few brown countries? You know, yeah, why not? What's the difference between them? Yeah, and and liberals are super super excited for Hillary of all people, the fucking hawk. You know, yeah. have we forgotten her track record on Benghazi? Yeah, remember. And... Sorry, she gone. Like, how dare she? How fucking dare she? Like, she she and you know the Obama administration in general, they transformed. Africa's richest per capita country in Libya, according to HDI Human Development Index, Libya had the highest, biggest, uh, the best living standard out of all African countries. You know, mm. since that, you know, that NATO-led assault by the U.S. and its allies, Libya is a place where migrants are being sold in slave markets. Slave markets, sorry. Yeah. And the worst thing, worst thing is that is that Biden is to the right of Hillary. Can you like just imagine what he's gonna do in terms of imperial foreign policy? He's already he's already having a pissing match with you know Trump over China and over yeah. Venezuela to yeah. a greater extent, actually. So expect more attempts at regime change. But hopefully, my boy Maduro has those fishermen to uh to catch any of those U.S. mercenaries. <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully, yeah, they came so close to like uh, initiating another regime change in Venezuela, but yeah, hopefully. Yeah, and like just, you know, just to imagine as well, like you know, they're in a fucking pandemic, and their interests lie with like getting you know getting rid of Maduro, who they call a dictator, but was elected in a free, much freer and fairer election than any other U.S. president has ever been. So they can shut the fuck up about what's democracy and what isn't. Because, like, if they love democracy more, so much, it's it's kind of weird that they don't have any democracy at home or how they've been the leader in outright overthrow and election meddling since 1945. It's really strange that. I mean, 45% of, like, the vo- like voting age population don't vote in American election because they don't believe there's any democracy. I, I, yeah. I don't I don't have the exact, like, millions in numbers, but, yeah, it's quite big. And that's never, ever, ever addressed either by the Republicans or the Democrats, not the Liberals or the Conservatives. Why a big group of Americans are not even participating in elections? Why not? Where's the democracy? I mean, they've, see, they've thankfully, you know, seen through the bullshit. I suppose that's one of the, the things about America, where the transparency, it's all there for you to see and examine. You know, mm. it's just fallen off. It's just fallen off completely, and you can see for what America is. Not everyone, as you may, as you may, you know, you can may tell uh, in terms of people that support U.S. foreign policy. But that's just unfortunately to how 
propaganda and co- the corporate video work, like their ability to manufacture consent for coups and imperialism. <sighs> and speaking on that, on that note, I want to talk about the human rights, uh, not just of the US, but the how they claim to be a big supporter of human rights. And but in actuality, they've never supported anything remotely resembling human rights. I mean, just as an example, at home, uh, in, at home domestically in the US, they don't support Medicare for all. You know, it, it's ridiculous. Yeah, just basic, just a basic social, you know, social need. Like, yeah, people need to go to the doctors, and yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's left to single payer. And how many millions die from like not being able to afford any medical insurance? I mean, sorry, I just don't want to be pedantic, but it's not even left to single payer. Like, Medicaid falls a single payer option. Well, it's, sorry, sorry, it's sorry. big pharma. We'll cut that part out there. But yeah, it's, you know, health insurance, I mean, health in America is, you know, it's just left to big pharma who price gouge disgustingly. Like, I don't know what the exact statistics will be now, but prior to this pandemic, there were 87 million people uh, uninsured or underinsured. Medical bills are the biggest uh, cause of bankruptcy in the U.S. An estimated 500,000 people go bankrupt annually because of, you know, they can't afford their medical bills. Mm. 68,000 die because they, you know, they can't afford stuff such as insulin. Mm. 44% admit they they, they avoid seeing a doctor. Mm. You know, more than 40% admit they can't afford a $500 medical emergency. It's ridiculous. Like it's clear, absolutely clear, undisputable fact that you know healthcare is a human right. It's not something that should be commodified and left at the service of an of a price gouging industry like big pharma, mm. whose only interest solely his all you know whose sole interest sorry is this tied to profit. You know they don't care about your well being, and this is you know this great you know lover of human rights doesn't even support a basic human right like universal health care to its own citizens but i want to talk about how america doesn't support human rights support domestically as well in terms of its imperial foreign policy mm. like these are just some aspects but america developed nuclear weapons right as we know and to this day they still to use nuclear weapons they dropped atom bombs on the people of japan they carpet bombed the korean peninsula back to the stone age during the mm. korean war they engulfed the people of Vietnam in napalm and pesticides. In fact, there are more people in Vietnam today dying because of the toxins that America dropped than of COVID-19, which I will touch on later. Agent Orange, yeah. First, yeah, and, and in the first Iraq war, they dropped 177 million pounds worth of bombs on the people of Iraq, which is the most concentrated aerial onslaught in the history of the world. Mm. Like for more than 40 days and 40 nights, they, you know, they engaged in this relentless devastation. And these, like, how can you, you know, read such statistics and say that America supports human rights? It it doesn't support human rights of any kind. It just doesn't. It's never cared about human rights or freedom or any of these words that are meaninglessly thrown around in conjunction to support its, uh, you know, to validate its imperialism abroad. Because America often, when they engage in their imperialist wars, and then they're like, "Oh, we're going there to spread freedom and democracy." But this is the same language used by British colonialists when they were, you know going abroad and subjugating and pillaging the Indian subcontinent saying they were going there to spread civilization yeah yeah exactly I mean 
what I think about whenever I think about well n- not the only thing but it sort of does tie down to just big pharma and not really big pharma just the US health service what I think about is the Tuskegee syphilis experiment I don't know if you know about that I'm not aware of that no but oh, that's a pretty disgusting one uh, it's, it's called the Tuskegee uh, syphilis experiment on the Negro male it was, con- uh, it was mm. conducted by the UL Public Health Service. What they were doing was, uh, in- they said it was to, uh, you know, to, to see if, uh, uh, you know, African-American males had syphilis or not. It-, it was a pretty innocent study on the outlook. It was conducted in, I think, 19, uh, 1930 or probably probably later. Probably later. I don't have the exact dates. But what, what, what was actually happening was they were injecting these African-American males with actual syphilis to study syphilis and we only find out in 1970s that's that that's that was happening and you know they got syphilis and many of them died many uh you know due to complications and many of them contracted syphilis like yeah no shit and yeah where was the you know where was you know where was the human rights then where was you know any sort of a any sort of reprimand or anything done about these victims or just you know against the u.s public health service none no, nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's just, you know, an historical example. And to this day, they don't support human rights because, uh, like, why would they, <laughs> you know, when they're so intimately tied to an ideology like fascism? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which we will talk, I will uh, touch on later when we uh, discuss what lies ahead for the future of, uh, of America. To, so, but right now, I want to talk about, like, it's interesting actually looking at what the current state of america where millions are currently unemployed millions are set to be evicted uh, millions without any health insurance uh, they have the worst covid19 death toll amongst a whole host of other things and suddenly you know the the crowd that often perpetuate this idea that socialism has never worked when it's been impl- you know implemented uh, are nowhere to be seen when they talk about the capitalist us like, is this not objectively a failure on the part of capitalism? Where, where is this crowd now? Why aren't mm. they talking about the failures of capitalism and associated with the US? You know, it, it's ridiculous. And I'm, I'm going to further dwell into this idea, actually, when I talk about the current state uh, of the US. So we look at a country like Cuba. It has a better literacy rate. It has a better life expectancy. Uh, it has a better infant mortality rate than the US. But no one, like, you know, all, you know they have all these achievements. They've managed to achieve this, sorry, without, with, sorry, a, a flipping, devastating embargo imposed on it. And the US, it, it doesn't have to worry about sanctions, foreign invasion, none of that stuff. And it still can't provide a, a decent standard of living to all of its citizens. Mm. It has the worst uh, death toll figure for COVID 19, 157,000 dead probably even more than that because Google takes a lot of time to update mm. like a third of all COVID-19 deaths come from the US despite the fact that it makes up only 4% of the world's population mm. you look at another country like Vietnam uh, they've had zero deaths for a long time they've recently had th- three deaths they implemented a swift lo- lockdown and then a very effective quarantine they made face masks mandatory on the 16th of March which is before some nations even began to lock down for example the UK mm. The U.S. death toll, right, uh, I think another point to hit home as to why it's as bad as it is, you know, you can throw away, throw, throw around many factors, sorry, for example, Donald Trump being the president, 
you know, him cutting funding for, you know, Center for Disease Control, him saying it's just a flu, him saying it's a democratic hoax, et cetera, et cetera. But in large part, I think why the U.S. did as bad as it did in terms of, you know, trying to deal with COVID-19. And even now that I think about it, I don't think, it, you know, when I said deal, that's a bit disingenuous because I in turn assign a level of nobility to the U.S. government. They couldn't give a crap about, no. you know, citizens. They only care about the interests of its ruling class, as I've touched on. But the reason why the U.S. have done as bad as they've done is because of this idea of American exceptionalism. You know, we're America. We're number one. We're the best. It can never happen to us. If it happens to Europe, it's because they're Europe and we're America. But Are to you quote, sure you're not talking about Boris? I mean, both apply. British exceptionalism is another reason why we've done so bad here in the UK. Yeah. Legions of imperial grandeur still uh, dominate and shape the mind of the British political class, which is not why they're trying to, you know, strangely demonize China. I mean, good luck. China could just shut off your fucking Wi-Fi. <laughs> but anyway, that's besides the point. Uh, that's, that's a, I mean, I suppose, you know, the reason why America thinks it's exceptional is because of the just the level of propaganda that's so deeply embedded within this society. But to quote a fantastic, you know, Iraqi Marxist and YouTuber, Hakim, who if you have not heard of, you should definitely go subscribe to what's fucking wrong with you. Uh, America truly is exceptional in its social inequality, oppression of ethnic minorities, uh, degrading infrastructure, especially for a country as rich as it is, Gen- its genocidal history, its war crimes, its slavery, which still exists through the 13th Amendment, it's impoverishing of its poor, it's draconian sentencing of petty crime, and in some cases, no crime at all. And yeah, that's that's where American exceptionalism truly lies with. Not in the fact that it's number one. Like, it hasn't won a, you know, a war outright since 1945. And even then, you can't. I wouldn't really claim that war being won thanks to the US, it's thanks to the USSR. No history book will ever tell you that, funnily no. enough. Funny that. Yeah, but... It's you look at all of the stuff that America's currently going through right now and no one, like especially from that socialism has always failed crowd no one ever says that this is a failure on the part of capitalism like it's really really funny that not like the fact that people overlook the you know that hundreds of millions of people's life chances and living standards improved on an unprecedented scale thanks to socialism and like the stuff that Cuba's managed to achieve, like a better literacy rate, a better life expectancy. And all the while they had to endure, you know, a devastating embargo, embargo and like threats of foreign invasion, et cetera, et cetera. The U.S. doesn't have to deal with any of that. And it still mm-hmm. can't be as successful as Cuba has been, in, not just in handling the pandemic, providing a good quality of life to its citizens. Mm. Yeah. And I, I want to sort of share like sort of, you know, mine in your life like life experience and like capitalism hasn't done shit for us you know no like nothing at all like dude you know we we get we we get us you know fine subsidized by the government essentially and like you know we we i live in a council house like what have i actually benefited from uh, you know this free and open market nothing at all like all of my benefits come from socialism social you know socialized housing the nhs or just uni in general like i've been able to live a decent life because of you know so, uh, socialist policy social policies in general I've, 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 i haven't gotten shit you know me the average role the the average working class individual you haven't gotten shit from the free and open market nothing at all you know yeah 
and this is why like you know these competing social orders such as socialism come you know why they're vilified why they're smeared why they're defamed call it whatever you want to the extent that they are i was watching a michael parenti lecture it was the famous yellow video that he it's called the yellow video because the font you know the, the texture is yellow it was a uh, it was given in 1986 and he was talking about why these competing social orders such as socialism are smeared to the extent that they are and it's because socialism shows that we can and do should do better than capitalism as a system as a mode of production in terms of how we organize our society because socialism uses the land labor resources technology and puts it to non-public in non-profit public sector development and social need community rather than private capital accumulation as would be the case under capitalism mm. and that's why it's near to the extent that it is because if people woke up and smelled the coffee of true like class consciousness and revolutionary potential is tapped into the you know the lumpen proletariat that exists in the UK we would see some kind of revolution you know but most people are propagandized into thinking that capitalism works or capitalism is the best you know our best capitalism is in great but it's the best system we have but no like we really can and we should do better than capitalism i mean you said it you said it last uh, last podcast you know in your american accent like we like when you asked like where we going to get the money uh, to fund medicaid for all like hey have we looked at your military budget and do you, yeah. do you not think that could be put to better use Yeah like they have a America has a military budget of 738 billion dollars which is bigger than the next 10 nations combined and how they can like how people continue to ask like you know how will we pay for medicare for all like how how are you paying for that military budget oh but yeah no sorry the the ruling class has better priorities for example dropping bombs on brown people so i suppose we give you know cost is an a factor to be taken into account yeah yeah i mean <laughs> Yeah, I guess people don't care when it's brown people being bought. I guess once again American orientalism showing showing its ugly head. 100%. 100%. I mean, when okay, have so, Americans cared about Muslims, G? With the Oh, ridiculous. Like, yeah, I mean, we've seen we've seen like uh an increase, almost a bombardment of like, oh, Uyghurs going through this, Uyghurs going through that, like people seriously need to think more critically in terms of discourse when it comes to China. Like we touched on this on our episode regarding anti-communism. But like if you think the US or the UK gives a shit about Muslims, you should seriously seriously do more research. And I don't mean it in a black or pretentious way because I and I apologize if I do come across as pretentious because I'm not going to explain why that such a notion is just ridiculous in itself. Like especially you know, especially the US. you know you we touched on it already but we, i suppose I'll, i'll continue to uh, to look at it more so you got the iraq war the, you know war in afghanistan uh flipping the fact that they 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 uh, they are largely and partly responsible not even partly largely responsible sorry for the the current genocide and humanitarian crisis in uh, yemen because they're bombing yemen as well in coalition with their their allies saudi arabia And that's just three examples. Three examples, bro. Yeah, you, then you got Syria, uh, Pakistan. Like, when have America ever cared about Muslims? And then you look about the treat the treatment mm. of Muslims and the Islamophobia, the rampant Islamophobia they experience, and how Islamophobia is like intimately tied to U.S. foreign policy. And then you look at the U.K., where we have state-sanctioned Islamophobia essentially. So to just clarify and further elaborate on what that means, there. is a counter terror program in the UK called Prevent 
and how it works is it's designed to obviously like prevent any kind of you know radicalization from fomenting especially within young people I think we might be on that yeah we probably are actually for <laughs> conversations we're being tapped into so I'm not being I wouldn't be particularly surprised but um if you are racialized as Muslim you're eight times more likely to to be poor and prevent and like it's funny because like their preconceived conception of what a Muslim you know what a Muslim is oh no not what a Muslim but what a terrorist is sorry is someone from a Muslim background which just shows like the racism and the, the Islamophobia that exists within the British state. And this program was created in 2014. And just one example of like a child, of a person being put on prevent was a child, a 14 year old child who went to school with a free Palestine badge. And like, you don't even need to be 14. Children as young as 33, sorry, can be put on prevent without like the presence of their parents. It, it re- literally is just a state sanctioned Islamophobia because who they target are people that they, that they believe to be of a Muslim background. like. The idea of terrorism as an ideology is so intimately tied to Islam and Muslims, which is ridiculous because, as we know, like terrorism, just, you know, has no faith, has no sexual orientation, has no political political inclinations whatsoever. Anyone could be a terrorist. Like the, terrorism is not as transparent or black and white as we make it out to be. As we, as I said earlier, talking about Orlando Bosch, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like it's 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 interesting how you how you how you brought this up and I I was looking at like the the when Mark Zuckerberg that fucking reptile uh you know not just Mark Zuckerberg but uh you know uh, Sundar Pichai and uh, what's his face again uh, Jeff Bezos were in uh, were in mm-hmm. Congress provide, provide the parasite yeah the parasite gee uh, you know our boy should know you know he 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 put a you know he made a lot of value. For uh, for Jeff Bezos after work, uh, working for him in his uh, factories, but yeah, they were in uh, they were in Congress to pro- to, uh, to provide evidence against like uh, antitrust laws and just just yeah to, to provide to provide evidence that they were not tampering in the elections and um, it's interesting how you know Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook were not charged at all for like the Rohingya crisis where you know the the, the Myanmar military were like putting up loads of loads and loads of anti-Muslim uh, posts that led to so much rape and so much um, so much hate crimes against Muslims in, in Rohingya and you really think you really think the USA cares about Muslims you know they, they never charged that against Zuckerberg but they charged him against you know for for uh, the, the Uyghur crisis for, for, for being in bed with China yeah, they, they, like, don't, they, don't, they don't care about Muslims. It's really interesting. Like the US, they lied about Iraq. They lied about the Gulf of Tonkin in Vietnam. They lied about like Iraq having incubators to justify supporting Kuwait in the first Gulf War. And they obviously, as I mentioned, they lied about Iraq having weapons of mass destruction. And now you think that they're actually telling the truth about Uyghur suppression and like some kind of cultural genocide taking place, even though if you go, like, I just want to emphasize, it's so hilarious. Like, you can book a ticket and go to Xinjiang and go to Urumqi and you could see there what's going on for yourself like it's not closed off to anyone dude you can go no. there and like the World Uyghur Congress is sponsored by the CIA a lot of these organizations are intimately tied to the CIA this this bombardment of all this news about Uyghurs this Uyghur that is because it's a geopolitical move designed to destabilize China and weaken their relations with, with Muslim countries that's it like Muslim diplomats have went there and they even the even they themselves said that they report any findings of concentration camps or this many amount of people being locked up or you know even people from the UN went and they found nothing literally nothing mosques are being burnt down like yeah mosques are being burnt down like 
anti-Islamic rhetoric. If you you know if you try and Google that kind of shit on the Chinese website, it's banned. And you know there's a revival of Islam happening across China. For example, like Xinjiang, I mean not Xinjiang, but the Uyghurs are not just a monolith. They're not the only group in China that have Muslim faith. Like the Hui people are Muslim as well, and you know. They get to practice their religion. So, if like Muslims are being repressed and suppressed in China, why the fuck aren't they? Like, why is it specifically the Uyghurs? I mean, the World Uyghur Congress put up stupid numbers that don't even make any sense. Just these Uyghur human rights groups, like six million Uyghurs are like detained. Isn't that the entire population? You're yeah. actually going to sit here and tell me all have been detained? All have been detained. And and look at where the meth- methodology is coming from as well. Like you have people like Adrian Zen. And like Radio Free China, like Radio Free China is sponsored by the CIA, and Adrian Zen is a dude that believes his anti-China crusade is ordained by God. Like he's a far-right evangelical homophobe. Like he should not be given a platform. Like for, yeah, let's. I'm, I'm putting that. That's me saying it politely. Like if, if that's your source, then uh, God help you. Yeah, yeah. Just and this is just one aspect. Like. Uh, and we mentioned this specifically because there is a lot of there's a lot of uh, preconceived notions of what China is and what it isn't, and a lot of it, unfortunately, particularly about what it is, it comes to the scope and lens of Orientalism, and it's not great. Particularly, it's not helpful at all, and people should and need to be more critical, uh, think more critically in terms of like China, because you know if you actually still believe the U.S. After how many lies it's told? That I don't China know. China has gonna... a monopoly on lying, as if yeah. as if the US has you know has the goal to yeah, say that. It's told, it's told, it's told, it's like how you know you can't trust China because they have state, you know the media is in control of the state, like BBC News, like in the UK they literally portray the current you know the Chancellor of the Exchequer Rishi Sunak as Superman, like is hmm. that not propaganda? Hmm. Jeez. And people want to act like the BBC is left-leaning of all things. Yeah, all impartial. It really isn't. No, it's not no. impartial at all. Like, they portrayed, you know, Corbyn as a communist spy. I would have liked him better if he actually was. You know, not yeah. my hopes and everything, but... But Fox News might as well be, like, a state-sponsored boy in America. Because that's essentially what they yeah. sound like. For the Republican Party, at least. Yeah. For the Republican Party, at least, yeah. Like... It's like I want to just touch on the point you made, like how China supposedly has a monopoly on lying. Ridiculous, ridiculous. Like the biggest lie, you know, the biggest crime of this century was perpetuated through lies, you know, by the US. We claimed that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction yeah. when they didn't, or when they had apparently had ties to Al Qaeda when they didn't. Like they went there for Iraq's oil. That's mm. it. Like the same reason they went after Gaddafi was because he wanted to create a pan-African currency that would undermine the US dollar and because of oil. So they went there and got rid of him. See, we, we've talked about this in loads of times in our in our phone conversations, but why do you why do you think this anti-China rhetoric is happening? Like, why? Do you know, why now? Yeah, why now of all times? Like, do you not think it has anything to do? Oh, yeah, go on. it's because we are now on the precipice. Well, I wouldn't say precipice. I think we're currently in a new Cold War. I say we. I'm not. I'm in no way like in, you know on ship with this. But we're in a we're in a new cold war because the U.S. is in decline. It's clear to anyone they they're in decline. They're they're an empire in decay. They're, and 
they want to do as much as they can to maintain their hegemony over the world. And who presents the biggest threat to their hegemony is China. Like no other nation presents a bigger threat to their hegemony than China. So now they're doing anything and everything they can to demonize China and to propaganda, you know, to, to bombard us with all this propaganda regarding not just like the supposed repression of Hong Kongers that goes on, but also the fact that they're repressing Uyghurs in Xinjiang apparently. Yeah, like one of one of our boys actually said we understand that our lives we lived in China because how they treat Muslims. Like like it's any better yeah. in this country. Like it's any any better than this country. Like if you st- like if you support or stand in solidarity with Palestinians, you can be put on the counterterrorism watch in the UK. Like as I mentioned, prevent is a form of state-sanctioned Islamophobia, and like the British state historically and now have never cared about Muslims like ever. Like colonialism in, in the Middle East, the Iraq War, the war in Afghanistan. Look who's on and the, then you just look at the current, look who's you look look who your boy is on the five pound note Churchill. How do you think Winston Churchill? Yeah, like some of the stuff he said about Muslims is f- disgusting. Yeah, yeah, just about uh, Pashtuns and just Muslims in general, or, or any minority in general who was part of the empire. Any minority in general, yeah, because he believed in the quote unquote superiority of the Anglo-Saxon race, and like you look at the current government in the UK as well, the Conservatives. And most of them, it's, it's institutionally Islamophobic. Like, you know, the, the Islamophobia doesn't just end with Boris Johnson. For example, the co-chair of the Conservative Party, former co-chair of the Conservative Party, Baroness Wasi, she said that she would be afraid about the prospect of Michael Gove becoming a prime minister, becoming prime minister of the UK because of his views on Muslims. Hmm. The an equality watchdog received over three hundred complaints of Islamophobia from the Conservative Party. Like forty, like forty-three percent of members in the Conservative Party wouldn't agree with the prospect of a Muslim becoming prime minister. Fifty-five percent believe Islam is a threat to Western civilization. Two-thirds believe that you know there are sectors within British society that are currently you know living under sh- Sharia law. It's ridiculous shit, and like I don't know how you can just jump on board with the, the West's anti-China narrative that comes from this Muslim saviour complex when the West have never given a damn about Muslims to begin with. It's just like, come on, people, let's think more critically. Let's, let's assess where this stuff is coming from and who's who, which, which agenda it serves and why. Yeah. And uh, I think we should go on break before we, we give our thoughts on where just the, the path America is going to take soon or what we think you know just our thoughts in america in the future in general yeah so, yeah speaking on that we're gonna go on a break now so peace guys. all right so, peace this track is not an attack upon the american people It's an attack upon the system within which they live. Since 1945, the United States has attempted to overthrow more than 50 foreign governments. In the process, the US has caused the end of life for several million people and condemned many millions more to a life of agony and despair. The strength of your dreaming prevents you from reason. The American dream only makes sense if you're sleeping. It's just a cruel fantasy. 
Their politics took my voice away But their music gave it back to me The land where they're lumping are consumed by consumption Killing themselves to shovel down food in abundance I guess a rapper from Britain is a rare voice America is capitalism on steroids Natives kept in casinos and reservations This place slaves never given reparations Take everything from Native Americans And wonder why I call it the racist experiment Afraid of your melanin The same as it's ever been That ain't gonna change with the race of the president I see imperialism under your skin tone You could call it Christopher Columbus syndrome Entertainer, the world's devastator From Venezuela to Mesopotamia Your cameras lie cause they have to hide The savage crimes committed on leaders That happen to try and nationalise Eating competitions while the world's been starving Beat up communism with the help of Bin Laden Where would your war of terror be without that man? Every day you create more Nadal Hassan's Kill a man from the military, you're a weirdo But kill a wog from the Middle East, you're a hero Your country is causing screams that never reach your ear holes America inflicted a million grand Zeros. Follow the dollar and swallow your humanity Soldiers committing savagery you never even have to see Those mad at me, writing emails angrily I'm not anti-America, America is anti-me Relations. What matters more is the policies, I lost my patience Stop debating, bringing race into the conversation Occupation and cooperation equals profit making It's over, people wake up from the dream now Nobel Peace Prize, Jay-Z on speed Thou is the substance within, not the colour of your skin Are you the puppeteer or the puppet on the string? So many believed it was instantly gonna change There was still Dennis Russ, Brzezinski and Robert Gates What happened to Chaz Freeman? What happened to Tristan Anderson? It's a machine that keeps that man breathing I have the heart to say what all these other rappers aren't Words like Iraq, Palestine, Afghanistan The war's on and you morons were all wrong I call Obama a bomber cause those are your bomb, your bomb, your bomb We're back We're back, we're back again I uh, I think we need to talk about this, this is something that we're both of us are just hypothesizing but I feel like it's important to, talk, to touch on and really uh, talk about which is what we think the future lies for America and mm. where we think America's going to go after this yeah. so uh, I suppose your thoughts first what, we, what do you think's going to happen um I I want. I. Th- I think there's only two routes that a decaying empire can take, like America, like we saw Cyrus Russia take. But Cyrus Russia was a backwater, so communism was the easier route. Um, not the easier route, sorry, but it was the more plausible route. You know. But America, I. I want to be an optimist, and this is my feelings about it. I do see some sort of proletariat revolution taking place in America. I think. 
I think personally, I just feel I just feel it more inclined to happen after after the whole George George Floyd BLM pro, uh, movement that happened after the protests that happened, and you know my experiences as a minority in which you're always othered, alienated against by you know just just the uh, the 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 dominant racial class or or you know the dominant ethnicity. Uh, of of Caucasians or just white people in general, you're always sort of othered, and I do see in you know a state like America, which has a huge minority population of uh, you know uh, black, Latino, and just minorities in general. I think there's only I think there's only so much stepping on somebody's neck you can do, so much police brutality you can do, so much uh, you know so much fucking them in the ass you can do, whether you're through big pharma or just you know just under the view of capitalism in general you know there's only so much of that the average pro can take before they're like yeah you know the only thing i have to lose is my chains you know there's only so much of that you can really sort of take until you're fed up of it and i'm more inclined to think i think i think i think a fascist dictatorship is more likely but personally i'm more inclined to see uh, to, to think a proletarian revolution might take place just because of the just because of the huge reaction to George Floyd like it it, it was it was you know it, it wasn't just because of George Floyd you know we've seen many instances of police brutality but you know i guess this is just one too many this is just one too mm. many and people just yeah people just like smelled the bullshit and they couldn't take it anymore i mean more than smell the bullshit they just couldn't take it anymore and there was rioting there was burning of property destruction of capital you know there was all of that and that's when you know the us state acted that's when we saw any like you know sort of like reform being you know even talked about even mention of a reform like you know they said they'd abolish the minneapolis police department which i've yet to see or ever brought up again but if you ever if we ever get another large scale uh, uh, protest or you know hopefully hopefully a riot a, a big one one that's we've never seen before and I, I think it might come in our lifetime but I, I don't know if that's going to be enough or it's going to be enough to like topple the American empire but you know like we said the proles are you know the, we're, we're many there's there's more of the proles than the bourgeoisie you know like like we saw in the French revolution like yeah eventually, eventually the proles are going to have enough of being taxed of being like just treated like shit until they just rise up and you know demand a new order and i i see it more happening in america than anywhere in europe not europe but uk per se as somebody living in the uk where mm-hmm. you know when things are nowhere near as bad for us compared to america capitalism is nowhere near as bad here than in america but yeah if, if the pandemic like you know there's only so much shit people can take until they've had enough i i think i think the blm protest was just the first of many that we're going to see protests are still happening you know who knows who knows what's going to who knows what's going to trigger the next one uh once again i, I want to ask you for that lenin quote because your boy can't read yeah. the um like lenin said there are there are decades uh, where nothing happens and there are weeks where decades happens so we can't really predict the course of events like you said who knows what's going to happen but i just want to touch on some of the points that you made 
and want to expand on them further. The way I sort of observed the reaction to George Floyd's murder and the subsequent like mass upri- you know, uprisings is like it, it kind of reminded me of World War One actually, in the sense that I felt like something of that kind would have happened in America, whether whether George Floyd was murdered or not, that was just the trigger. Because if you look at the current state of America prior to those uprisings, you had um, only some Americans given one thousand, you know, not one thousand, four thousand dollars. Sorry, two thousand. What was the sum again? Was it was it two thousand dollars? Two thousand four hundred. Two thousand, yeah, four hundred dollars, which is like roughly the week, you know, roughly an estimated weeks and a half, week and a half wages. Like hardly anything, and they were they were just given that and said, yeah, okay, for the this month, will... for the month, bro, for the month. Yeah, and they were like, yeah, okay, this will last you for however long it's supposed to last you throughout a deadly pandemic, and that's just ridiculous. Because how, how is that supposed to pay for rent? How is mm. it supposed to pay for food? How is it supposed to pay for bills? You know, and then there's mass incarceration on top of that, starvation wages, lack of opportunities, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and like a confluence of all these issues will just, you know, combine and cause a mass uprising to happen as it did. George Floyd is just the trigger. Same way like Gavrilo Princip assassinating the Archduke was the tr- trigger for World War One. I'm not trying mm. to equate these uprisings to, you know, with World War One, obviously, but I feel they're similar in the sense that how we kind of saw that Europe was developing into two alliances, two major alliances, and how we kind of knew that a war would have happened. That's the way I saw it. Mm. I kind of sensed that America was unstable because, you know, millions were already unemployed at that point. Millions were without insurance. And that those two issues as well added to the anger. Because, like, you know, these people, the most marginalized and exploited, are the ones that took part in these uprisings because they have nothing to lose but their chains you know writing was one of the last communistic acts bro and it's not surprising we saw who you know those who participated I w- actually I wouldn't call them rights I feel like it's offensive but I- I'd call them I'd call them people who are wanting to just have their voices heard at the back you know the people at the, fo- the back that can't have their voices heard because like Ma- uh, Martin Luther King mm. so you put it best like a, a right is the language of the unheard and that's the way I see it. But in terms of my own personal thoughts, I'm more of a pessimist compared to you. I feel like America's fascism is just mask off now. It's more over. It's more aggressive. It's more transparent. Mm. And I feel like there will be a continuation of that and just an outright embracement of their fascist fascism. And, you know, mm. Jason Stanley made a book about uh, how fascism works, the politics of us and them. And, you know, Trump furthered it and you know really normalized it more than any other president like you know in terms of the rhetoric he's used and peddled mm. minorities in terms of how he's created like uh, you know certain you know how he's created this otherness around minorities and used them as a unifying mm. force to you know pe- perpetuate hate against because that's one of the key characteristics of uh, fascism and how he created this mythologized past you know, that's another mm. defining characteristic of fascism in terms of like, yo, we used to be so great. How come we, you know, we should go back to those times? Uh, I'm not going to dwell in too much into fascism here and how it works in this, uh, as an ideology. We have an episode dedicated to that, which you should check mm-hmm. out. But 
in terms of where I think America's going to go, I think it's just going to embrace its fascism. It's it's an empire in decay. Its capitalism is the you know, American capitalism is in serious trouble because you know we're in a situation now where the GDP of America is contracted by more than forty percent. During the Great Depression, mm. it was around twenty four percent, and we considered that a Great Depression. So I don't know what we're considering this. Mm. And you know, America has been intimately tied to you know fascism, particularly the fascist iteration that developed over the course of Nazi Germany as well. Like Lebensraum, that idea was taken mm. from Manifest Destiny. The gas chambers mm. that was taken from the nineteen seventeen bath riots when Zyklone B was used against Mexicans. The brutalization and genocide committed against the Native Americans. Hitler used that as his blueprint for the Holocaust. The Nuremberg Laws, that was taken from Jim Crow. So America has been intimately tied to fascism since its inception, particularly the iteration yeah. that developed across developed sorry across Nazi Germany. And as you mentioned, how it's you know it's decaying as an empire, how it's falling off in terms of its the power it projects globally it's embracing its fascism or it's becoming more and more desperate much more and more and more desperate and these are just one of the the signs of an empire slowly dying from within yo yo can you hear me yeah 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 you you cut off for like two seconds but yeah yeah I agree with most of what you said about it. it's it's just the death cry of uh, of mm. the American. That's yeah, yeah. Like there's no like kind of I don't see the revolutionary potential class consciousness that I see in America. Like I feel those those that movement and the uprisings that took place did more to further the class struggle than anything we've ever seen in the UK. Like we've had like. Yeah, don't get me wrong, super left-wing politicians, well, not, they're not even super left-wing, but they'll be considered super left-wing within the context of political discourse in the US, like Jeremy Corbyn, but... Yeah, yeah. Electoralism is a dead game, and, you know, the only way I... Like, the ballot box isn't going to, you know, destroy the social order and create a new one. A revolution will solely, but I don't see any sort of revolution taking place in the in the UK, per se, but I do agree with just the sentiment shared by you that there's more of a chance of it, some sort of revolution developing in the US because mm. because the proletariat they really have it rough. Like it's not as ba- as bad the situation in terms of the proletariat's material conditions. Don't get me wrong, it's still like this. It's getting worse in terms of like how social security is being like trampled on, but. At the same time, I don't see that class consciousness, mm. man. Because a lot of like working class people decided to vote conservative for the first time. Like there was more low income mm. people, pe- people from low income households that voted for conservative for the first time in the last election. So if you're, if you're in a situation like that, there's no way anyone in the UK is going to be supporting any sort of revolution to destroy capitalism and move mm. beyond it. I mean, I mean, what you said about just electoral politics isn't going to solve anything when you look at the numbers it's like 30 percent of those eligible to vote don't vote at all in elections in america so yes facts you know more more and more people aren't voting because they don't feel like their parties represent them uh, at least the democratic and republican parties 100 percent. 100 i think people are you know 
this the, the disillusion because America can't even claim to be a liberal democracy, you know. Nah. But I nah. mentioned, and we'll dedicate in a future episode to Lenin. You know, we don't live in a democracy at all. But that is another story. Like we live in a bourgeois democracy. Which yeah, which is completely different from what you know me and you view as democracy. Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Electoral politics is just you know democracy for the bourgeois. Yeah, hundred percent. Democracy for the rich because whoever you know wins, whether it's Joe Biden or Donald Trump, they're gonna win as well. Nothing changes for them. They're still yeah. gonna, they're still gonna be making profits out of like you know out of the labor of their workers or to other forms yeah just poor pros are going to suffer the most out of out of out of all of this really and the the status quo is going to be the change sorry it's going to be the same like we've said time and time again you know biden and trump you know biden just blew maga biden the admitted stat- it himself he said nothing will fundamentally change yep yeah i think now more than ever though especially as we're seeing like um fascism just like just just develop aggressively in the US not just not so not develop but just a mass slip off rather and then that that in turn allows allows fascism to just breed and become more aggressive now I mean what form do you think it's going to take though like what do you think the next steps are the next step i see some kind of i mean i wouldn't be surprised if like i see some form of military dictatorship like the military just take over Mm. I honestly wouldn't be surprised cuz you see someone like Trump who's just demented as like as Joe Biden is and I don't I, I seriously can't see him leaving if he loses in November I feel like he'll probably afford an election and then refuse to leave and that'll trigger a massive constitutional crisis that we've never seen since the civil war that's a bit of a stretch and it's a bit it's a big stretch actually but given the state of his mental health he's clearly not well Donald Trump he's not mm. well in the slightest mm. would it be surprised mm. if he does something like that I mean, do you have any historical like examples we can like look to uh I wouldn't like, say what? because the situation in America is specific is quite unique but in terms of so far what a military dictatorship would look like I, I can imagine it looking resembling that of Brazil after Juan Goulart mm. was overthrown in a coup back by the US unsurprisingly hmm But if Biden so, doesn't power, he's not going to be the one calling the shots. Obviously. It's going to be there. It's going to be other officials. He's he's a demented walking death rattle and he's not in any way shape or form like you know there to run Biden, Biden can barely think for himself or articulate anything at all, anything meaningful like this guy isn't well like we said time and time again. This guy's like 2 years away from a heart attack like like do you seriously think Biden's going to live through this you know even if he wins he's going to live through his uh, you know his, his presidency i don't think so don't i'm not wishing that either. and like you could see it's pretty obviously clear to anyone that he's going through early onset dementia yeah <laughs> yeah i mean look at look at some of his campaign speeches he doesn't even know what he's talking about like uh, at some points like oh, he just says stupid shit Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 100%. Uh, I mean, I I like to think you're wrong about the military dictatorship. I really 
word but that seems much more realistic as scary as it sounds like i mean we want to be wrong obviously obviously we want to be wrong but yeah, i want to see some kind of proletarian revolution in america but I, i don't see it happening personally but what i do want to see happen is like people who organize uniting like just like biting their tongue and putting like ideological differences behind them and seeing communists and anarchists uniting you know we we can't allow sectarianism to like divide us we need to unite more than ever right now because fascism is is taking hold of america it already has before because america as i mentioned is an authoritarian militarized police state that has innate fascist tendencies but they're just you know concealed but now that process of concealment has just faded away it's withered away completely and it's now taken hold and like just has its face there for everyone to see I mean we we have some american viewers listening to us like probably it's not a lot but you know we have some do you do you think there's any advice we could give to them uh, like on you know organizing or just like fostering class consciousness um, anything they if can you do? haven't already joined the party for socialism and liberation it's not the best but from what i've heard from american comrades it's it's, it's okay for what it's worth um mm. try and organize try and like and by doing that go join that party try and if you can please put sectarian differences behind you with fellow anti-cap the anti-capitalist left for example mm. anarchist left communist you mm. we got to unite because like shit mm. is hitting the fan right now in America and um yeah the only way to unite is to you know getting organized like Lenin did not lead the revolution by himself sure he will mm. be behind it and how it would work but you know he he didn't just like do it by himself as i mentioned no revolutionary can you know can launch a revolution without the people behind him yeah my mouth said it best on practice uh you know theory only gets you so far it's uh, it's how you implement it and your practice in general that'll that'll uh, further the revolution exactly you, sh- you should do your reading you know we should as marxists constantly uh, do our reading critiquing past failures of you know other marxist states i don't you know that's that's not to say that's what'll help the revolution but that's a good step in in understanding where it failed and where we can you know move from that from from there understanding where you things know, went wrong and then ensuring we don't make the same mistakes is key praxis right to any of our american comrades that may be listening um join your local organizations try and mm. put behind any sectarian differences you may have with fellow the fellow anti-capitalist left mm. and you know sovereign solidarity to you all because this these are truly unprecedented scary times that we're living in particularly with yeah. the the rise of fascism it's you know resurgent and people feel emboldened to hold these views It's not just something that's taking place in the US like the fascists mm. are in power in Hungary they're in power in Poland they have a pretty mm. significant presence in the UK but it's less over much less over Yeah And yeah On that note I think I'm going to we we're going to call yeah, it Yeah we covered everything Yeah I think we should call it Yeah, yeah. solidarity and uh, peace out Peace out comrades Got handed an Ayn Rand sandwich straight from the can.
I asked a lass to pass me a glass Of Engel's conditions of the working class Right away they dragged me to the committee To explain my un-American activity They're gonna see they made a mistake If they'd only let me play my mixtape I'm not partial to the marshal Or the plutocrats in their beaver hats And the fascists And the fact 